Welcome to this podcast of sermons at CUNY United Methodist Church. A religion scholar asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came came upon him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfected, and bandaged his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill, and I'll pay on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, Go and do the same. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, so we're, in, we're doing Global Migration Sunday. And sermons are basically um, delving deeply into Scripture and connecting it to the world today. So we're going to start with the world today. Right now, they say that we are in a global asylum crisis. There are people being forced out of their homes. Um, world, this is a compilation of worldwide people forced to flee. This is put together by the United Nations High Commission on Refugees. And you can see that every year it's growing and growing and growing. In 1975 to 2022, Just looking at refugees and asylum seekers, you can see how that is also going up. And you can see that there are peaks in the numbers. 1980, that peak was Afghans and Ethiopians. In 1991, that peak was Iraqis. In 1994, that that bump, that was Rwandans fleeing ethnic cleansing. In 1999, that was people uh, fleeing Kosovo and Serbia. 2014, that's Syria, and then it goes down a little, up again in 2018, that's Syria again, along with Venezuelans. And then 2022, giant jump, that's Ukrainians, along with Afghans and Venezuelans. So this is like, in 2022, that's 10 million people. I get overwhelmed when I hear 10 million people. Psychologists tell us that we, um, we feel more empathy for 10 injured people than 1,000. Because 1,000 is just more than our hearts can, can wrap around. And so um, talking about millions and millions of people is kind of inaccessible to our hearts. So we have a video here that I hope has some accessible information. Every five seconds, a person is displaced. 
forced to leave their home in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. It has become a global issue in not only Africa and Asia, but also in Europe, the Middle East, and the Americas. Over 65 million people are displaced worldwide, departing a home they don't want to leave, on a journey they don't want to take. Over 22 million are refugees, fleeing repression, conflict, and climate change. Over half are under 18, and 10 million are stateless, without access to education, health care, employment, or freedom of movement. My job as a missionary is to tell stories using both images and words about how God is moving in the world to empower people who've too long been relegated to the margins. In some of the societies where we are engaged in mission work, refugees are often seen as a burden. But I would like to suggest today that we as people of faith see refugees and the displaced as blessings to us. After all, these strangers may be angels or Jesus. In 2015, one image of a Syrian boy brought into sharp focus the plight of the migrant and refugee. But there are other boys on other beaches, another pair of sneakers, one brand new, one lost. Life as a refugee is hard. Displaced people are not always welcomed. Hungary insisted migrants keep moving to somewhere else. Cambodians have been displaced by modern development and mining operations in the Philippines have forced indigenous people from their villages. In Brazil, loggers have destroyed forest homes and corporations have stolen land from native people in Argentina. In Kenya, the government is closing the world's largest refugee settlement, even though it provides critical services to hundreds of thousands of people. Haitian immigrants in the Dominican Republic have no legal status, and people deported from the U.S. are sent back to the violent Northern Triangle of Central America. This young farmer in Honduras resisted the theft of his land and paid the ultimate price. Still, hope thrives in a hopeless environment. In this Syrian refugee camp in Jordan, church agencies are working to make improvements. This family made it to a Palestinian camp, where they found welcome support from their new neighbors, themselves refugees. In Czechoslovakia, volunteers guide families across the Serbian-Croatian border. The Croatians will organize all this transport for free. You don't have to pay anything. A Methodist laywoman in Austria teaches cooking to migrant boys. In Uganda, the Global Health Unit of the United Methodist Global Ministries is helping children to thrive. In Germany, Methodist minister Rolf Held has helped a town of 6,000 people receive over 3,500 refugees, most of them Muslim. We found they are very open. They come to our Christian services in our local Methodist church. A lot of them want to find out what do Christians do. 
refugees who were attacked in Zimbabwe found shelter in the Central Methodist Mission in Johannesburg. And on the island of Lesbos, Greece, it was ordinary people who organized and rescued drowning refugees, helping them toward freedom. Paul Jeffrey will never forget one grateful migrant, a Christian from Syria. First he carried his daughters ashore, and when he was sure that they and his wife were safe, hugged by a Norwegian volunteer, he knelt on the beach covered with deflated rubber rafts and prayed with thanksgiving. Nabil then arose and came and hugged his family, kissing the Norwegian woman, his wet clothes dripping water as he repeated over and over, Shukran, Shukran, thank you. Shukran, he said, weeping, thank you. Thank you. This image at the end of that video has been with me all week. This image of a Syrian man landing on the shores of Greece with his family and then embraced by the Norwegian volunteer. Syria was a dangerous place, and he risked everything crossing the Mediterranean to get his wife and his daughters to safety. And it required a strength greater than his own. And there is that Norwegian woman giving him that strength that he needs, welcoming him when it is finally safe. They have finally made it. And, and I see in his face that, that gratitude that they made it. With God's help and with the help of God's disciples, they made it. For many of us, these statistics and hearing about refugees is news. Because refugees and migration is not off, you know, part of our uh, normal life often. Many of us are just trying to get the kids to school on time and trying to get one load of laundry put away before the next one comes out. And if we haven't immigrated or we haven't been part of, of outreach, it can feel like it's something that happens on the other side of the ocean. As I've been talking at home about refugees, my daughter said, I don't know any refugees. And I thought about it, and I started naming people that she knows who I know are refugees. Because Boise is a refugee resettlement area. But the people she knew didn't look like refugees to her. Our hearts are drawn by God-given empathy to reach out and help those who are hurting. It is hard for me to imagine what it must be like to be driven from your home. I've thought about it sometimes. You know, if, if an army arrived or if war broke out and I had to leave my home with only what we could carry and run, what that would be like. And even when I got to a safe place, how desperately I would miss Idaho. How much I would miss the Idaho mountains. How much I would miss people who speak my language and, and joke the same way that I joke. People who do holidays the way that I'm used to and food that I'm used to. 
I would miss this church and the way we are together and the hymns that we sing together. And I once knew a woman, a Mexican immigrant who was from Michoacan, and I said to her, do you ever, do you ever miss your home? And she, she looked at me startled, and she said, she said, no. She said, here, my children eat every day. So there's that. That's not something I've had to live through, watching my children go hungry. While I was on vacation last week, my daughters and I read this book, The Night Diary. It's a novel by Vera Hirandani, and it's a story of a family going through Indian partition. Um, Indian partition was that time, 1947, when uh, British India, India ruled by the British, the British uh, gave them independence, and India split into two countries, Pakistan and India. Pakistan was for the Muslims, and India was for everybody else. And when the partition happened, there was a huge migration of people. Muslims went to, to Pakistan. The Muslims who lived in modern India went to Pakistan. And the, ones, the non-Muslims that were in modern Pakistan moved to India. And it's a story of a, of a Hindu family, a girl and her brother and her father and her grandmother who are Hindu, living in what is today Pakistan, and that 100-mile journey across the border and the profound difficulty they went through. Um, they say that 14 and a half million people crossed that border. It was a huge migration of people um, during partition. And estimates are that a million people were killed in religious violence. And maybe you've seen pictures of the trains with people just hanging off of them, trying to get across the border. So we read this book. It was a wonderful book of their story. And, you know, I think that none of us will ever hear um, Indian partition the same ever again, having heard that story. Okay, so we've talked about the world today. We're going to shift to Scripture now. There are many stories of refugees in the Bible. The people of God were actually formed as refugees, a group of people fleeing slavery in Egypt, um, coming together, following God. That's how the people of God were formed. Jesus himself was a refugee. As a baby, he and his family, his family, his parents took him, fleeing deadly persecution by Herod. This icon of the Holy Family fleeing their homes is called La Sangrada Familia. It's by Kelly Lattimore, who's an Episcopalian in Illinois. And today we heard a parable uh, that Jesus told, asking the question, who is my neighbor? We call it the Good Samaritan. And a person was traveling the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a dangerous road. There's lots of blind corners. There were caves where robbers would hide, and bad things happened to people. And in the story that Jesus told, bad things happened to the person who was traveling. And then what? A priest came by, a Levite came by, and they both crossed to the other side. But Jesus doesn't say why. Some people have said it was following the purity code. Sophia has, has heard that. 
um, that that Jewish purity law said that you know you priests and Levite couldn't get close to um, to dead bodies. As Jewish scholar Amy Jill Levine said, that would not have actually been an issue because both were coming from Jerusalem. And those purity codes were about the temple in Jerusalem. So why else would they have crossed to the other side? Maybe apathy. Maybe they were, they were avoiding inconvenience. They were in a big hurry. Maybe it was... Maybe they were feeling some condemnation, like, you know what? People know they shouldn't be alone on this road, and that guy got what he deserved. Maybe it was fear. We aren't told why, but we are told that they kept their distance. And then the Samaritan comes. Every single person hearing that parable told by Jesus would have seen Samaritans as enemies. And that enemy risked getting close. And when he got close, that God-given empathy drove him to first aid and bandaging up wounds and putting him on his donkey and taking him to an inn and paying for his care. He got close. We can't get close to 10 million people, but we can get close to one to one person, or we can get close to one family. In the gospel, Jesus shifts the question from who is my neighbor to who became a neighbor. The person said the one who treated him kindly. We could also say the one who got close. In the parable, we actually know nothing about the traveler. They are a faceless person in need. But for us today... When we get close to the stranger, when we get close to someone in need, we know that we are getting close to Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 25, whatever you do for the least of these, you do to me. So when we feed the hungry, when we welcome the stranger, when we give shelter, we are caring for Christ. We are getting close to God When we cherish those on the run, we are loving like God loves. Our care for refugees and immigrants is so central to our faith that it has a whole section in our social principles. This is the social principles of the United Methodist Church. It comes out of our book of discipline. It's section 162 for those who want to look it up. Subsection H is about rights of immigrants. It says, we recognize, embrace, and affirm all persons, regardless of country of origin, as members of the family of God. And it goes on to talk about their rights as human beings and the duty of humanity to care for them. Now, in all the times I've heard people talk about the Good Samaritan and the reasons why the priest and the Levite crossed to the other side, the one reason I have, I don't think I've ever heard is compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue is what folks name um, when people are extending their hearts and their empathy and they're going on and on and on and they get exhausted, emotionally exhausted. Compassion fatigue is a real problem for us because we hear 
in our news, we hear about both the people hurting who are in our immediate community that we meet face to face, and we hear about people hurting all over the world, and it wears us out. We hit, when we hear about one person hurting, our hearts go out, and when it gets up to 10 million, our hearts don't expand by 10 million. We hit a limit, and, and we hit exhaustion, and it is too much. We collapse. When we hear these stories, we think, well, well, do we help the Syrians? Or do we help the Ukrainians? Or do we help the Somalians? Or do we help the Central Americans that are arriving at our border in human caravans? And by the, don't even finish the question before you're worn out. And hearing people's stories can be an experience of secondary trauma stress. So here is what I want you to hear. The burden is not yours alone. The burden is not ours alone. We have each other and we have God. And I'm going to say something even more radical. This is not our work that God helps us with. This is God's work that we help with. God deeply cares about refugees and people who have to flee their homes. And God already has it figured out. God already has it figured out. Compassion fatigue happens when we think it's all our responsibility and that, you know, we have only our own strength when we're in charge of fixing everything and we know we can't and it exhausts us and we collapse in compassion fatigue. But the truth is, this is God's work. And God has all the strength that is needed and all the compassion that is needed. We are, in this scenario, we are labor. We are not management. And our job is to discern what is our peace. Because God already has it figured out. Last year, there were 100 million displaced people But there are 2.4 billion Christians. And if we add in Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists, there are 6 billion people of faith on this earth. And so knowing that God already has it figured out, and we don't have to worry about trying to do everything, we're only doing our piece, it means that it is safe to get close. It is safe to get close to one person or one family, that like the Samaritan, it's safe to hear the hard stories because God already has it figured out. Our job is to discern our peace and then serve faithfully, knowing that God has all the other pieces put together so that we can stand on beaches with our arms open wide ready to be part of God's solution. Would you pray with me? Lord God, people in this world are hurting, and you have given us empathy to care for them. Lord, help us to know what is ours to do. Give us Give us sight so that we can see the way it works in your plan. Lord, save us from compassion fatigue. 
so that we can serve joyfully and energetically and be part of what you are doing, caring for your vulnerable people, fleeing violence, doing their very best, but their strength is not enough. Lord, use our strength and give us yours to respond to the need. We pray this all in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is preached almost always by our pastor, Reverend Mia Crosswaite. CUNY United Methodist Church is a community on a mission to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To support this podcast and the missional priorities of this church, go to cunaumc.org and click on Give. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you things.